prayer for illumination. Holy One, as we listen once more to the wisdom of your word, may we be fed both in mind and body. Help us open to your revelation of love and to receive your blessing with grace. The readings are John chapter 10, verses 1 to 6 and 11 to 18. Try your best to follow me through on this one, and I'm sure Francis will explain it following. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens his gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Over to you. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. So um, this is 
sermon number three in our series of uh, images on Christ, uh, images of Christ. Uh, we've had, Jesus has told us that he is the light of the world. Jesus has told us that he is the true vine. Now he tells us that he is the good shepherd. And um, like I've, uh, like we've heard before, anytime Jesus starts a statement with the words, I am, he is echoing the way God describes God's self when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. And so the original hearers of this passage in Greek would have heard the, the connection. Um, and now here we have Jesus, like a good teacher, using images and language that his hearers would understand. Sheep herding was an important part of rural life. And what's also really interesting is that um, every time we come to Advent and we have Luke's story of the angels, uh, angel appearing to the shepherds, what is often underlined in some of the commentaries I read is that uh, shepherds were not particularly trusted in Jesus's day. They, they weren't... Um, they were thought of as kind of rough and probably a bit dirty. I'm sure they smelled, you know, they were out there with the sheep all the time um, and they weren't really to be trusted. So it's really interesting that Jesus compares himself to a shepherd nonetheless. Um, sheep, uh, the image of a shepherd was also something that was part of Jesus Jesus's Jewish heritage and the Jewish scriptures that he and his followers would have been familiar with. Um, in There is, of course, our beloved Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's also in the book of Ezekiel, God describes himself as the true shepherd. And it goes like this, for thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will sort them out. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them with good pasture. There, there they shall lie down in good grazing land and they shall feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. So Jesus is, so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's also saying implicitly to his followers, you know what kind of shepherd God is? I am that same shepherd. I have arrived to seek the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the injured, and strengthen the weak. So this gives some of the background and the context as to why Jesus would use that image. But what I found myself thinking about as I pondered this passage is, what does it mean for us to be sheep? Because if you're gonna have a shepherd, then you gotta have sheep, and the sheep are us. And initially, it seems like a very unflattering comparison. We often think of sheep as stupid, uh, dependent, incapable of thinking for themselves, following blindly without question. Um, the reason a shepherd needs a hook is because sheep will get themselves into tight places. They'll just go following, eating the grass, and they'll find themselves wedged in somewhere and they can't back out. So the shepherd's gotta come and hook them out. So it's not always the most flattering comparison to be thought of as sheep. 
But here's something I recently learned about sheep. The reason they stick together so closely and follow one another so tightly is not stupidity. It's interdependence. Sheep are highly social creatures and to be cut off from the herd provokes intense anxiety. A sheep on its own does not do well. Sheep follow each other because they need each other. And we have learned this for ourselves too through COVID. The great tragedy of COVID was human separation. So people who were locked, well, not, well, maybe, people who were isolated in their own rooms, people who died in hospital without their loved ones present, uh, people who found themselves going down internet rabbit holes because they were stuck at home and their anxiety just took over. We felt that ourselves, even with um, the technological tools we had to keep us connected, it wasn't the same. It's not the same. Humans need humans in order to be human. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so God, being the pain that God is, has stuck us with each other as his sheep. And then, to top it all off, told us to love each other. Thanks, God. It's easy for you to say. Because you're the one who made us. You're our creator, our parent, our father, our mother, like we sang in the hymn, our shepherd, our teacher. And just like the shepherd has the advantage over the sheep in, you know, standing a good two or three feet taller off the ground, um, God has the advantage of, of seeing us from a different perspective. God sees us inside and out. God knows our history, our origins, our wounds and blessings. God sees us entirely, right? Just as sometimes it's um, our, our siblings, can we rub against again our siblings more, but our parent is the one who can see um, all the different parts of our lives and the parent sometimes finds it easier to love their children than the siblings find it easier, you know, that's not always the case. Sometimes parents favor each other. Parents are not perfect, as we all know. Um, but point is, we sheep don't get that advantage. We don't see inside one another. We don't understand the fears, the experience, the memories that we all carry that make us who we are. We can't see one another's intentions. We can only guess them from each other's actions. And sometimes we don't even speak the same language. Even if we're all speaking English, different words hold different power and different meanings for each one of us. So when God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, when God tells us that we're meant to love the other sheep, it is no small ask. This is a big thing God is asking of us. Sometimes, you know, um, I remember reading this book in which uh, uh, it was a fiction and the, the Muslim character says to the Christian character, you have to do what? You have to love people? 
And he says, well, I mean, you know, we've got our five pillars of Islam. I can't remember them all, but, you know, make a pilgrimage to Mecca once in your life, fast during the month of Ramadan, um, give alms. There's a couple others I can't remember. But he says, I can do those no matter how I feel. But you, you have to love other people. <laughs> and then he says, well, no wonder Christians are so angry all the time. <laughs> So let's back up what this loving our neighbor means. It does not mean having warm and fuzzy feelings. I think so often in Christianity, we confuse loving our neighbor with being nice to everyone. Loving our neighbor doesn't even mean liking them. When I was at VST, Vancouver School of Theology, one of the many construction sites on campus was run by a former construction boss of mine who had been an abusive bully. And I couldn't walk past his site for at least a year. I was so scared I'd see him. Could he do anything to me? No. Did he still have power over me in my mind? Yes. Did I have warm and fuzzy feelings for him? Oh, no. But lo so loving this man didn't mean saying that what he did was okay. And it didn't mean forgetting it. It eventually meant believing that his opinion of me was not the one that mattered. It meant that I didn't have to convince him of my worth in order to believe it myself. That kind of was the power he ended up having over me that somehow I had to prove to him on his terms with these goalposts that kept moving, I had to prove to him that I was a good, that I was a good worker, you know, that I was a good employee. Loving this man eventually meant wanting the best for him, believing that perhaps he had some wounds of his own, but deciding that I wasn't really, that I didn't have to try and rebuild a relationship with him. Most importantly, though, I think that loving our neighbors is impossible without love for ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus tells us. And unless Jesus is a sadist, that presumably means that Jesus assumes that we love ourselves. Right? You're not going to say to someone, love your neighbor as yourself if you think that the person should hate themselves. It's not going to work very well. Historically, Christianity is really, really lousy with self-love or self-value. We're much better with self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-erasure. And part of this is because in our central story, we have a God who performs a sacrifice, right? We have a God who dies for us. And so we kind of get fixed on this idea that that loving your neighbor means like exhausting yourself or killing yourself or letting people, you know, letting people beat up on you. Somehow we have this idea that loving your neighbor means neglecting yourself. And we confuse love of self with ego. We think that self-love means puffing ourselves up. We mean, we think that self-love is, is narcissistic, that it means having a big head. But friends, my perspective is this. Who are we not to love ourselves? 
We are children of God, created in God's image, whom God calls good. Who are we to denigrate or dismiss what God calls good? Who are we to decide that God's good creation in us is not worth loving? Who are we to decide that what and whom God loves, every single one of us, is not worth loving? Who are we to say that God is making a mistake in loving us? To love ourselves is to see ourselves through God's eyes. To love ourselves is to value ourselves as God values us. And paradoxically, right, sometimes, like I said, we sometimes think that self-love means puffing ourselves up and having an ego. I think really it's the opposite. Self-love frees us for humility. Because if we know we are loved, if we know we are worthy, if we know we are of value, if we accept that perhaps God loves us because we are worth loving, it frees us. It helps us put down our defenses. It helps us learn. And sometimes an easier way to think of this is self-compassion. Many of us tend to be harder on ourselves than we are on each other. So what if we apply to ourselves the same compassion that we show to our loved ones, right? So if, if someone we love is sick, we're probably going to say, um, rest up. Here, let me bring you some tea. Let me bring you some soup. Don't worry about it. Just no, no, like don't try and do the chores. Sit down and rest. But to ourselves, we might say, well, I don't have time to be sick. Oh, I'm just making this up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating this. Or if someone we love has just had a, um, a big loss in their lives, right? If someone we love um, has had someone die, we're not going to say to them, you know what, you should really be over this by now. We're not going to say to them, um, you know, pull yourself together. Get over it. But we say these kinds of things to ourselves. We're hard on ourselves. And yes, sometimes there's things to be done and sometimes we gotta say, okay, I know you're not feeling well, but we really gotta, you know, get that, we're just gonna, we're just gonna weed this one row and then we're gonna go lie down. You know, but, but to have compassion on ourselves and to not beat ourselves up for our mistakes might be life-giving. What if we were kind to ourselves when we didn't meet our own expectations? What if we were gentle with ourselves when we're in pain of heart, mind, or body? What if we forgave ourselves when we make mistakes? I was talking with a mentor um, a while ago, and I was saying how, you know, how easy it is to feel inadequate in ministry. And she said, oh, yeah. But that means that God it means that we we keep turning back to god that reminds us of how much we need god and so i'm learning to forgive myself when i make mistakes in this role 
I'm learning to have to attempt to have compassion for myself the way I might have for others. Because it's the only way I'm going to learn. And it's the only way I'm going to accept my own limitations. It's the only way I'm going to open myself to let God in to walk with me. We are not called to be a flock on our own. We are not called to love our neighbor without God's help. We are not called to love our neighbor without knowing God's love for us. And we are not called to love our neighbor without God transforming us and helping us and walking with us. Self-love does not mean deciding we're better or the best. It means treating ourselves as God might want us to be treated. In my experience, this is the only way we can learn to be a flock together and open to the need that we have for one another. Jesus is our shepherd. He will guide us. He will lead us by still waters. He will lead us through the rough patches. He will lead us to smooth grazing land. Jesus walks with us and ensures we are never alone on this journey. So may God bless us and send his Holy Spirit upon us. Amen.